0: Tonight, we're concluding our series on the I Am's of the book of John. I invite you to turn with me your copy of the scripture tonight to the book of John, chapter 15. John chapter 15. <clears throat> I'll make you a deal. I'll go as long as I can go, and then uh, we'll call it a night. Does that sound good? Yeah. I'll try to make it. I want to just tell? open up with just a little bit of a story. kind of fits the thought process of where we're heading tonight. Um, there's a town, in it's called Hampton Court, and it's near London, England. And there's a grapevine there that's about 1,000 years old. Um, the grapevine has one root, which is at least two feet thick and uh, some of its branches um, are over 200 feet long. Despite the age, the vine produces several tons of grapes each year. Although some branches are smaller than 200 feet from the main stem, they still bear sweet, delicious fruit because they're connected in to this big vine. Life flows from the single root out through the vine, bringing nourishment and strength to all of the branches that are attached to it. And thus we have the thought process as a visual tonight. As we look at this I am statement where Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Jesus promises that same illustration thought for us, that he is the true vine bringing life, to each of the branches. The purpose of the vine is to bring nourishment in order that the, the branches themselves might produce fruit. And when they are separated from the vine, the branches will then wither and die because there's no life-giving substance to them on their own. Uh, the vitality of our spiritual life also is in our ability to connect with God, who is the true vine. So tonight, each of us, we're going to answer two questions tonight. Um, The first one is this, Is the life of Christ flowing within me? Is the life of Christ flowing within me? And then the second one is this, If I am connected to the vine and I'm joined together with Christ, How much fruit am I producing in my life? How much fruit am I producing in my life? Is there no fruit? Is there some fruit? Is there abundance of fruit? Those are some of the things we want to talk about this evening to kind of lay a a pattern for you. We're going to look in the Scriptures tonight. We're going to start in this passage in John 15. And I want us to begin reading... In verse one, <clears throat> oh, sorry, that scared me just a minute. Um, <clears throat> man, what in the world? What's going on with the heater? Um, so, anyway, sorry. John chapter fifteen, verse one. It says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes." If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Okay, tonight I want us to, to look at that first question is the life of Jesus flowing through me? The thought process here is that Jesus is the source of life. Jesus is the source of life. He tells his disciples here, he says, I am the true vine. Have you ever wondered why Jesus says some of the things he does? <laughs> I know that there there may be a moment in in, in your life, and when when something's happened, and, and where Jesus speaks something to you, and you're like, "Wow, that I don't know about that one." It doesn't make a whole lot of. Well, I'm kind of having a hard time thinking about that. Um, I think we all kind of go through that, but I think sometimes we we miss this point because there's some things in this that maybe we miss about this section of scripture. I want to kind of go through this a little bit with you. If you remember right, this is the night of Jesus' betrayal. John chapter 15 is set. That's the setting of this evening. Um, the disciples have been in the upper room. They've celebrated the Passover with Jesus. He, Jesus has washed their feet. He has um, spoken to them about the events that are about to take place. After a great deal of discussion with the disciples, Jesus ends chapter 14 by saying, come now, let us leave. So they're leaving this thought process of the upper room. Matthew, in one, uh, who was another one of the disciples at that time, following the Passover meal, he says in his gospel that the disciples sang a hymn and then went out to the Mount of Olives. And so we get this discord and this thought process as you take the Gospels because that's what you really have to do. You have to take the Gospels together and to get a timeline, an accurate timeline of what's going on, you take the entirety of Scripture and you put them together and you overlap them with one another so that you can kind of get a clear picture of what's taking place here. Because John doesn't tell you that where they're going, Jesus just says, come now, let's leave. And then the very next verse, he comes up with saying, I am the true vine. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, where did that come from? I've got this thought process here that I believe as as they were making their way from the upper room to the Mount of Olives and then eventually to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is continuing his instruction to this group. He's continuing to pour into them. Um, he's done that for three years, but he knew, man, this time is running out. And he gets to John, we get to John chapter 15, and he continues this thought process of teaching with this, I am the true vine. I mean, you know, Jesus was a master, man, at teaching. He was just a master at that. Um, and he used things that were common to those who were listening so that they could understand. What was going on. And I have this thought process that as they are walking, he's walking with the disciples, they're making their way through this Mount of Olives, and I've, I've got this belief that they stumble across a grapevine of some sort. Could you see that a little bit because of the context of where they're going? And when they get there, Jesus looks at this vine, he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And all of a sudden, man, the disciples probably were like, okay, man, I kind of get that. I can understand that. He's pointing to this vine. He's talking about how um, if you stay into the vine, that's where life is found. He's using this illustrated sermon with this right here. I get that. Because if you cut off one of these branches off of the vine, it doesn't survive. I mean, how many of you have to pick up sticks in your yard because the wind blows them out of your trees, right? Are they alive? No, they're dead. Why? Because they got blown away from the life-giving portion of the tree. Same kind of thought process here with the vine. They are um, detached. When you're detached from the vine, um, you no longer are having that life-giving portion um, in your life. In the upper room, Jesus tells the disciples some things that would be difficult to understand, but now he could help them comprehend a little bit maybe more about what he's telling them with this illustrated sermon. Um, there's some things that, uh, that stand out that, that uh, I think that just as a rehash, as we look back, if you look back a chapter, we've talked about this a few, a few weeks ago, when Jesus said that he was the resurrection and the life I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, he he says that in John chapter 14. That's part of this whole conversation that he's having here with these disciples. Um, that second part, he talks about the Holy Spirit, that now the Holy Spirit was going to come and, and he was going to dwell and be in them, not just with them, but he's going to be in them. That's the conversations that Jesus is having with these guys on this... So this last moment before he's going to be handed over to the the Romans to be crucified, this is his last moment with these guys. And, And those are some of the things he feels like it's important to say. Hey, don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't fear. It's going to be all right. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the one. Believe in me. And he's telling them all these things. The Holy Spirit's going to live in you, not just be with you like he was now and before. He's going to live in you. How cool is that? Going to be. And as he's leaving and he sees this grapevine, he thinks he, he comes to these disciples with this thought that maybe ties all of this together. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. See that vine right there? I'm the true vine. Because that vine gives life. And just remember what I said just a few minutes ago, guys? That I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to believe that I'm the life, I'm the source of life, it all starts right here. I'm, the, I'm this vine. I'm the true vine. And there's only found life in me. Um, have you ever seen um, a celery stick that's kind of been to its last days? It's kind of on its last limb, kind of deal, right? And it looks kind of bad. Have you ever taken that thing and put it in water and saw what happens to it? It kind of almost kind of brings a little bit of life back to it. Um, There was a science experiment that a kid did one time and he had that celery stick and he put it in this um, glass of water with red food coloring in it. And he he put the, the celery stick down in it. And what happened was that celery stick began to kind of expand. It, when it was shriveled up before, it kind of began to expand because the water was giving it life. And as you pull that out of there, inside the little veins of the cell, you see this redness from the food coloring of where that water was invested into that, that uh, piece of celery. Jesus is trying to get them to think of this kind of thought process. You were once dead, but man, I'm gonna bring you life. And that celery thing with the water was temporary. This is permanent. This is eternal. Everyone in living in Jerusalem, and even these rough fishermen and these twelve disciples who were a majpas of guys would have understood the, the illustration here about the vine. About what was taking place in the vine. I'm not much of a gardener type person, but I even get the illustration of the vine in the fact that if I am not tied into that, I don't produce any kind of fruit. And I don't, there's no life in that. Jesus said um, that I am the source of life, I am the true vine. 1 John chapter 5. Says it this, he says it this way, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I think John got that principle. And so now before we move any farther, I want us to kind of tackle that question in our minds tonight that we pose that first question, is the life of Christ flowing through us? If you've accepted Christ and you're into that vine and you rep- have repentance of heart and you have shown yourself to be a disciple of God, then yes, that life is flowing through you. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life. Life as I look across the room tonight, I kind of come to the knowledge that, yeah, we've chose, we've made that decision, we've we've kind of we, we've come to grips with that. I understand that Jesus is the life, I'm tying into the life. I understand that He is He's the one um, because after all, the choice is ours, He doesn't force us to graft in, the choice is ours, and I've recognized that He is. The true vine. And so that leads me to the second part of that is how much fruit is being produced in my life. And that's probably where we're going to spend most of our time here tonight, um, and probably most of our discussion. Um, If you are connected to a life source, in this case, an eternal life source, the believer, the, the purpose for us then is to produce fruit. There's a principle, we talked about it last night in our youth group, um, my message to the youth group last night, we talked about Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was, a, you remember the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, climbed up in, I'm not going any farther. Um, You're like, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, But anyway, um, Zacchaeus was this really short guy. And um, this story is really kind of amazing if you really think about it. And I talked about this to the kids. Jesus was the rock star of his day. I don't know how else to say that. Everywhere Jesus went, man, there were people following Not just hundreds. I'm talking thousands. I mean, you think about it just for a minute. Whenever he sat down and there were how many people that followed him that he fed with five loaves and two fish? 5,000 men, men, plus women and children. So there are multiple thousands, at least very many hundreds and thousands of people following Jesus all the time. If you read throughout the Gospel, whenever I read about Jesus wanting to get away, what do He have to do? He had to break away early in the morning to break away from the crowd before everybody kind of got up and got going, and He went up into the mountain to pray, right? That was His pattern, and whenever he came down off the mountain, it seemed like everywhere Jesus went, man, there was just like this following of people. Well, it's no different here in this story with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a short guy, and, and if you've ever been uh, short, I'm not going to name names, mention people, or point at people, but um, if you've ever been short, um, you know that there is this hard thing to do when you're in a crowd and you want to try to see somebody, right? Right. Because if it's somebody popular, they're not letting you through, right? I've got the front row seat, you ain't getting in, right? And uh, we're pushing you to the back. So Zacchaeus climbs a sycamore tree, make a short story even longer. He, he, <laughs> Jesus looks up into the tree and he sees him and he tells him to come down. He's going to go to his house. What's the immediate thing that happens? In Zacchaeus' life, the immediate change, there's an inward change. And any time in your life that there's an inward change, there will be an outward display of action that complements that change. There's an inward change, and immediately Zacchaeus says, listen, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. Dude was rich, man. Dude was wealthy. Then he also says this, he says, if I, have made, um, if I have cheated anybody, I will pay them back four times what I cheated them out of. It was common practice for tax collectors to cheat people. And Rome didn't really care. If Dave owed me $100 in taxes, owed Rome $100 in taxes, me as a tax collector, I can charge him anything I want to. Rome didn't care. I can charge him 300 bucks. I gave 100 to Rome. I keep 200 in my pocket. You've paid your taxes. And that's the way it works. We're not talking about the US government, Dave. That's uh... <clears throat> That's the way it worked. And so this would have been a, a lot of money. And Jesus, whenever Zacchaeus says this, and you know that he means, it, Jesus reads his heart, and you know he means this, because he says, today salvation has come into this house because there was an inward change that resulted in an outward action that resulted in fruit being born. Right? Which gives us to this thought process process, Tonight, Jesus is talking with His disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and His disciples are the ones who believe in Him. Those are the branches. And I think sometimes we get this idea that I can give my life to Christ, but nothing changes in me. That's not true repentance. If there is no fruit that's seen in your life, if there's nothing that has changed your actions, if there's nothing that's changed who you are, that is not repentance. That's not real repentance. That's using Jesus as a get out of hell free card and a fire escape. That's not what true repentance is. If you look at that word repentance, it actually means in, in the thought process is to do a complete 180 from where you are. So if I was heading this way, if I repent, that means I'm sorry for going that way. And I'm going to turn completely and go this way. That's what repentance really means. And so if repentance is happening in you, then there has to be, if if you've come to Christ and you have connected into that vine, you've connected into that life, there ought to be some kind of outward action. It may not be all at once. There may not be a whole lot of fruit all the time. I think sometimes we kind of get this thought process of quantity, right? Someone gives their heart to the Lord and we expect them to be this huge bush. When in fact, maybe they've got a few grapes they're growing. They've got a few things that they're doing. We're going to get into that a little bit tonight. We're going to talk about those things. But I think that there ought to be something that's different about you. I get confused when I see people come and pray a prayer of repentance, but when they walk out, they're never changed. They go right back into the same lifestyle of sin. They go back into the same thought process. And some of it is because... I'm, I'm, okay, I'm going to get up on my soapbox just for a minute. Some of it is because sometimes we don't do a great job of discipling. Some of it is because we say, oh, here, here's a Bible, go live for Jesus. Right. And we just kind of like, what, what, what? They're all excited. But in a few days, they've kind of lost because discipleship is a process for us, Right? it's a process for me. I'm still in process. I'm still working through some things. God's still doing things in my life. We'll get to that point in a minute. But you think about that just for a minute. Shouldn't there be some kind of outward change? I think of my life when I accepted Jesus, when I asked Jesus into my life, man, there was something about it that I didn't want to disappoint him. It wasn't so much, I think, that I knew exactly what to do right or what to do wrong. It wasn't that I, I, I knew where I was, what I was doing was wrong. There's no doubt in my mind. The Holy Spirit convicts me of that. But I just didn't want to disappoint the Lord. And you know, here I am, 30 years later, and the thought process is still the same. I don't want to disappoint the Lord. I want to be more connected to him than I've ever been before. And if that's the case in us, shouldn't there be something different? Shouldn't people see a difference? In that story I referenced with Zacchaeus, man, the difference was immediate, man. They saw it quickly. And I wonder, do people see a difference in us? That was a challenge I I gave to our teens last night. Do people see a difference in us? Do they see a difference in your conversation? Do they see a difference in your post on Facebook and Twitter? Do they see a difference in in who you are? And I think that's important. You know, as you look at this thought process of fruit, and and we answer that question um, as to how much fruit is being produced in our life, um, you know, the idea here I think is, is not so much that that fruit deals with your salvation per se um, because I was saved the day I connected to the vine. The fruit has to deal with some other things and um, that are a part of my life. I want to give you three things um, that I think help us to identify some of the fruit thought processes, if you will, okay? Um, Now, you may think of things that are um, action-based, and they may be specific, um, like working in such and such area of ministry, that's that's fruit. Oh, yeah, I mean, it can be. But I'm going to paint a broader brush tonight, okay? Because I think it's more than that. I think it's bigger than that. And so tonight, I want us to hit some of this thought process um, of what this kind of looks like. I think that there are three aspects of this. I think the first thing as far as fruit that Jesus talks about in, in the Word is this, the fruit of obedience. I think there's a fruit of obedience. Obedience in not just one area of your life, but every area of your life. Obedience to the Word of God. Obedience to the voice of God. Obedience to whatever He tells you to do that you'll walk into and do. Um, I think obedience is a huge, huge thing that really um, is, if we're all called to be fruit inspectors, if you will, obedience is a big one for me as I inspect the fruit of my life. Is my life walking in obedience to what God wants me to do? whether that's on a big scale, a small scale, or no scale, whatever that is, is my life, am I doing the things that God wants me to do? Am I called to obedience? The second one is this. I believe that we see fruit. That there, I believe in, in the Scripture taught that we see fruit when we are reproducing other believers. Now, before we break off on that tangent, I want you to understand None of us in this room can save anybody. That's not what I'm saying. Um, <clears throat> Jesus is the only one who saves. He's the true vine. But what I am saying is this. I had a, a class in college, and it was a personal evangelism class. And the teacher that taught it, man, he was, he was a really cool guy. Um, <clears throat> he, would, uh, he would have this saying, and uh, you've probably heard it before, but he would say it with passion. I mean, he, every, every uh, class session he would preach a sermon to us. I mean, he was just, ah, oh, you know, that guy. And we'd be up on the desk and he, he'd come up to me and says, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you can sure make him thirsty. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember him getting them, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we do. amen. You know, class, you know. So, and he would say that at least, it seemed like once a week, he would always say that. You can't lead a horse to water, but you can make him thirsty. You can't make him drink, but you can make him thirsty. And I guess my question is if there's fruit in my life, how thirsty am I making people for Jesus? Do people see enough of Jesus in me through my actions, through my words, through what I'm doing, through my life? that it draws them to a place of wanting to connect to him as well. Because I think that's where we see some, that's one of the things he's talking about when he talks about fruit. Finally, in this, I think that one, the other thing is something that you'll probably connect with and you'll be like, oh yeah, the fruit of the Spirit. I think those are things that need to be growing in our life. Love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those are things that need to be evident in our life. And it's not just, I, I think sometimes we, we look at that and we think maybe it's just one of those, but I want to look at a couple of scriptures tonight, and then we're going to kind of take a minute, and then we're going to look at the different kinds of branches that he that I think are, are mentioned here um, Matthew 7:16 through 18 says this, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Jesus says that you will recognize people by their fruit. You know, what was one what's one of the major warnings that is given toward the end times teaching in Scripture. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of false teaching, right? So, and, and I believe that's completely true. Obviously, I believe that's completely true. So, what do you think is one way that we can make ourselves aware of wolves reading the bible what's that deal with obedience we're talking about fruit obedience what's another way remain dedicated lord in prayer that's another thing keeping those things in the life growing in these things in us And as we grow in these things and we grow in our walk with God and God begins to produce more fruit in us, we begin to look at, I believe, God will make it plain. I really believe that. If we are engrafted into the vine, I believe that when false teachers, false things come up, we will be able to spot them. Why? Because we're in the Word. Because we're speaking with God. Because fruit is growing in our life. And we are not just inspecting their fruit, but we are inspecting what they're, says, what they're saying, what they're doing, and it is being measured not by my standards, but by His. And I think that's one thing that, as we look at some of the end time things, Jesus, the, the obedience to Christ is something that produces fruit reproducing new believers bringing them, making Jesus attracting, attractive to them uh, the fruit of the Spirit, all of those things bring us to that to that place of being able to recognize and see fruit grow in our life those are the kind of fruit that God wants us to have yeah. well, let's look at uh, a couple things here Branches that bear no fruit. I want to talk about that just for a minute. Um, <clears throat> does it surprise you at all that there can be branches connected to the, the life of the vine that don't produce any fruit? I believe that uh, Jesus identifies two such branches on in this passage. Um, the reason I say two such branches is because there's... A, a Greek word here that I want us to to look at because it it talks about it differently. Even though the word is the same in English, there's a little bit of connotation to it, and I want us to get that tonight, um, to kind of put our our minds around this thought tonight. Um, In chapter 15, verse 2, he says that he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Um, if you look down at verse six, it says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. There is a word here that is in the Greek. I want to make sure that, uh, um, I get this thought process right as I had it in my notes, um, to make sure I convey it correctly to you. Um, in verse number two, he talks about, says, the branch is in me. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And in verse six, he says, if you do not remain in me, there's two different distinctions there. The Greek word here is, is um, I'm going to butcher this, it's arei A-I-R-E-I. Translated, it means a couple things. It means cut off, but it also means lifted up. It also means lifted up. So what there's this thought process is here. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He lifts up when these branches are not producing fruit, they're caught in the dirt of unfruitfulness and the dirt of sin, there is a patience that God has where He lifts them up. But if they choose to not remain in Him, then what happens? They get cut off and thrown into the fire. The reason I bring that up to you is this. I think that there's a thought process here that, man, if you're not bearing any fruit, you're just done. But I think there's a, a, an aspect of God that I think that we have to understand is the fact that God is patient, He's kind, He's um, abounding in compassion, abounding in love. The Bible says that about Him, right? And I think God gives us a period, and He gives us some time to do that. How much time? I have no idea. Only He knows. But I also think that if we continue to not bear fruit, that means that we are detaching ourselves from the Lord. Follow me with this here. If we continue to not have any fruit in our life, we are going to detach ourselves. We're, not going, we're going to be, end up in verse 6 where it says, you do not remain in me. And at that point, we'll be cut off from the vine and thrown into the fire. I believe it's important for us to understand that for the believer, unfruitfulness is not an option. Unfruitfulness is not an option. God is patient with you, yes, but unfruitfulness is not an option. We are called to be obedient. We are called to live our lives. We are called to go into all the world, into all the nations, and preach and to teach and to live life in front of people, showing them who Jesus is. We're called to have the fruit of the Spirit grow in us. And if I'm being unfruitful, there's a time. If I continue that thought process, if I as I read this scripture, if I continue that thought process, what happens? I will break off from the vine. But you cannot stay in the vine and be unfruitful. Can't be permanent. Let's talk about the second group briefly. Um, the produce some fruit. Um. Now, not all branches are as fruitful as others as I talked about earlier. We are all works in progress. Some people you look at their life and then you see bushels of fruit. Some people you see maybe a peck of fruit. Some people you look at their life and you see an abundance of stuff. Sometimes you just don't see a whole lot of fruit at all. But I, I want us to understand to not confuse quantity and quality in this A believer is joined to the vine. The life of Christ within the vine is what produces the fruit. Therefore, any fruit produced in my life through obedience, reproduction, or the fruit of the Spirit is all good fruit. Christ's life in me will not produce inferior fruit. However, Each of us as branches can restrict the quantity of fruit that is produced in our life. Jesus said this. He says, Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the world that has spoken to you remain in me. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine, neither you can bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what is it that restricts the production of our fruit? Can I spell it for us? Why o you? Another way to say that, and I'm not going to spell self, because that just doesn't fit the the thing. But self us. It restricts us. We love Christ. The Spirit of God's in us. His fruit is evident in our life, but from time to time, more maybe for some than for others, we stop relying on Christ. We stop relying on his life within us and we try to do things on our own strength. What did Jesus say? No branch can bear fruit by itself. those times we stop depending on Christ, we rely on our own strength and ability, it's that those times that the branch becomes unable to continue to produce fruit. So what does the Father do? Prunes. Have you ever been pruned? Exactly. Ouch. It's been my experience that pruning is painful. But it's also been my experience that pruning is productive. And when the things are pruned back, when branches are pruned back, more fruit is really produced because of that. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 7 and 11, um, read verse 7 and 11, said this, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Verse 11. No discipline seemed pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Pruning is not fun, but it's always productive. And those things in your life that are unfruitful, if you'll surrender those to God, God will prune those away. And you'll begin to find those things to be fruitful in you again. And the more fruit you will produce. Got to move on. Time won't allow me to spend any more time there. But the last group is those, the branches that produce an abundance of fruit. Um, Jesus said in verse 5 of John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, These branches here have been properly um, trained through the discipline of pruning. They have crucified themselves. They've learned to, to live in Christ and that apart from Him, they can do nothing. Let me give you a couple of Scripture references um, actually, one different one from the passage I gave you. It's in Galatians 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, in John fifteen, seven and 8, says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, Showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's God's will for our life. Is that we bear much fruit. So tonight I close with the questions that we started with. Is the life of Christ evident in you? Flowing in you? And how much fruit are we bearing? Tonight as we close in prayer, we want to lift up this uh, lady. What's her name, Jimmy? First name? Brenda, I'm going to lift up Brenda tonight before the Lord. So as we close, I want you to um, just take that evaluation, how much fruit it is in my life, and then we're going to pray for Brenda as we close tonight. Father, I thank you, Lord, for uh, the time we've spent together this evening. I pray, God, that, uh, that, Lord, you would just allow... Holy Spirit, we allow you right now to speak into us. I look across this room, and I see... Um, believers who have the life of christ flowing in them and god i pray that uh those things that need pruned in us maybe there's some of us that producing more fruit than others maybe some of us need to submit to the pruning process um god i pray that you would use us god help us to develop fruit of obedience help us to make uh, you attractive to people help us god to Uh, have the fruit of the Spirit evident in our life, that we would be moving forward in you. God, we thank you for that tonight. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, even in the next days ahead about this lesson. And, And Lord, as we pray, God, would you just open up those things that we need to take care of. Father, we pray for Brenda tonight. God, we know that you have the power to raise her up. You've done it once. God, we believe that you can do all things. And so, God, I pray for a healing, God, to manifest in her body. God, but I also pray for those that are going to be around this situation. God, that you would use this, that no matter what happens, God, we put all things into your care. We put all of these people and individuals into your care. And God, I pray that you would take what would seemingly be a terrible situation and turn it toward good, an eternal good. God, in Jesus' name, and let the power of God be on display in Brenda's life and in the life of those family and friends that are around her. God, I believe miracle to happen, miracle of salvation, miracle God of repentance, miracle God of healing, God, that you would just move in this situation, and we give you all the praise and glory right now, tonight, and ahead of time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord.